This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Good afternoon to you. How are you today? You are going to be spending some time in the gas coin this hour where more than 340,000 hectares of land has been burnt in bushfires. That's after news headlines at half past 12 today. Also today, it has been a scorcher of a week in many parts of the Southwest Land Division with temperatures up near 40 degrees on most days. And this has really raised some animal welfare concerns at the buoyant up sale yards in the southwest. The heavier sorts in the pens were packed in very, very tightly, 11 and 12 to the pen, and there was no animal movement. Live export ships probably are legislated to have greater space than what buoyant up sales yard sort was. You'll hear more from cattle veterinarian Don Finlay just before the news headlines at half past 12. Six past 12 here on the Country Hour. Well, WA's agricultural and pastoral industries are calling on the state government to allow workers with specialist skills into the state to keep their businesses ticking over and avoid any animal welfare issues. The call follows the Premier's late-night media conference to announce the state's February 5 reopening date had been delayed indefinitely due to concerns around the Omicron variant. What does this decision mean to you, your family, community and your business? Text through on 0448 922604. Hayden and Jane Sale are the general managers of the Argyle Cattle Company, Yugawalla Pastoral Company and Mandora Cattle Company in the Pilbara. Hayden, what does this decision to delay the reopening of the border mean to your business? Uh, well, they're actually disastrous. I don't use that word lightly. Like we've, we've about to start mustering in March. We've got a dry sort of season on our hands that unless we get significantly more rain, we're going to have to start mustering early to handle the cattle. Uh, and at the moment, we've got somewhere between 25 and 30 positions to fill uh, that would normally be coming in the main from the East Coast. Plus, we've also got other staff that are already committed to be here for that start around March, that uh, 16, in fact, that are and now in Limbo, so I imagine we'll take jobs pretty quickly elsewhere unless we can give them some guidance on what's going on. So what do you want to hear from the state government? Oh, look, I, I'd like to see pretty quickly some, some clarity on, on how we're going to work this. Like uh, you know, an exemption for agricultural workers is, uh, is the most obvious one to come in and, and, and help with these issues because they, you know, they will turn into animal welfare issues unless we're very careful here. Uh, we just cannot find staff anywhere and it was short enough in WA as it was but without having the ability to get other states later in uh, we're going to be really struggling so I think we're going to need some pretty quick clarity on whether we can have an agricultural exemption to get people in and then how that works once they get in here and, and how we deal with that. How does a shortage of workers flow on to animal welfare issues? Well we have to handle our cattle between basically March and September which is our mustering season and in that season you've got to wean calves off their mothers, we've got to get the sale cattle sold so we make room for the young cattle that have been born to take their place 
And if you can't get that done, then the cattle start getting in, in very poor condition by the second half of the year and can have issues where, they, where they, they can potentially start dying if they're getting in dams and whatnot. So, you know, we need to handle all of our cattle this year and get them through and processed and sold. Young ones weaned off their mothers so the mothers can, can handle the second half of the dry season. Otherwise, we're in, we're in a fair bit of bother. Do you think the state government understands the predicament that the agricultural, the pastoral sector is in, or the, the situation that the, that sector is facing at the moment with these labour shortages? It feels like they haven't thought this one through. You know, I know there's broader issues they're trying to trying to keep on top of, but interesting enough, I'm on the east coast at the moment, trying to see, see our kids are in school over here, and and we can't get back either. But you know, we're seeing the effects of Omicron on this side, and and they they, they really aren't that bad. You know, they're, they're, yes, there are some hospitalisations, but in general, the vast majority of people get over it and get back to work and, and the economies as such, apart from people just having to go and sit inside when they do get it, it is relatively unaffected. So to then go and shut down the entire state, again, um, does seem like an overreach when, you, when you're on the East Coast and seeing how, how, it is, how it's being handled over here. And definitely there are some huge implications for us in the broader agricultural industry unless we can access labour to be able to run our business. How confident are you that you'll be allowed back in, Hayden? Uh, I'm not confident in anything right at the moment. <laughs> we, were, we were hoping that we were going to be 5th to Feb and we'd sent out advertisements to staff saying we were going to be 5th to Feb. We've taken on staff members on the obligation that it would be that date. So, yeah, we're feeling very upset about that and just really worried about having some clarity for what we're going to do from here because this is not a... Not a small, a small, a, a small situation for us. It's really quite serious. Where are those staff coming from? You said you're about maybe thirty people short at the moment, and you'd kind of lined up a few people. Where are they coming from? Uh, majority coming from the east coast. So that, you know, they're just young kids looking for a year out working on a station, or some might be from the northern territory if they're employed there and wanting wanted to come to the Kimberley and work or Queensland pastoral areas. But you know, we in the past have had quite a big mix of Western Australian and. Eastern States people, but it's just been so difficult to get Western Australian labour lately that um, the last couple of years we've relied quite heavily on on the rest of the other states. So, so it's not even just the ones we're short, it's the ones that we've actually already got committed but aren't even here yet. So pretty much we've got next to zero labour force at the moment. So with that border remaining in place, is that going to put off those people from the Eastern States coming over here? Because they're, they're just as short of people over the other side of the country where you are. So maybe they'd want the easier path. Well, that's exactly what's happening. You know, we've had the toughest year we've ever had to attract labour because we, they haven't, we haven't been able to give them any surety where they can get into the state. And the, the rest of the country is in, you know, a, a labour shortage situation as well. So they just take the jobs over that side. A bit of a breakthrough was this fifth date. We were able to send out in our advertising. And then once we spoke to people that were interested that that was the date and that's how we can get you in, you know, that's in... Uh, you know, that's in turmoil now. And longer term, is this labour shortage something that needs some serious attention? I mean, obviously that, that short-term situation for you with the muster approaching really quickly, you, you need to sort that out. But is this something the government should be thinking about longer term? Oh, absolutely, yeah. We, you know, I've never seen a labour shortage like it. Like we, we advertise and don't even get a response in some areas. It's, um, it's amazing. So, you know, whether we'd have to look at... Um, an ag visa system to you know to help people come in and get established in the country and start a career and help with the industry. I think that's a good one on a broader scale. Um, even letting the backpackers back in when that does happen would help enormously because we've been smashed by that 
by that you know, that, that potential work pool that's always been around. So it's something that, that def- definitely needs looking at. All right. Well, um, I don't know if you're going to get a chance to in- enjoy the time there with your kids <laughs> on the East Coast because I, I imagine you're pretty busy trying to sort things out right now. Yeah, we are. We are. So, look, we haven't we haven't started discussions direct with government yet. We're, going, we're doing that today with our KPCA, our Cattlemen's Association. But, um, you know, they have been good in the past with allowing exemptions for ag, ag visas for people in, in uh, essential industries. So, so we're just hoping we can make some leeway with that. All right. Really good to talk to you and uh, good luck getting back here. Thanks, bro. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> All right. Hayden Sale, he's the general manager of the Argyle Cattle Company, Yugawalla Pastoral Company and Mandora Cattle Company in the Kimberley. 13 past 12, Michael Thompson owns Mundabul and Ghana Station, 100 kilometres southwest of Port Hedland in the Pilbara. Michael, what impact will this state government decision to delay the February 5 border opening have on your workforce? Oh, look, we got a lot of got a New South Welshman who was supposed to be coming over for the muster and I've got a Western Australian that's living in Queensland that's worked with, with me for a couple of years. He was coming back over, so I don't know what's going to happen with them now, whether they can get... Whether people, if they've had two jabs over there, are going to get exemptions on and I suppose it's all going to come out in the, in the washing, I suppose. Do you support the Premier keeping the border up or would you have liked to have seen it come down? That's a tough question. Look, I just don't. I just don't think they're ready for it. I mean, we've only had two years. They still haven't organised it. So, I think inevitably we're all going to get the virus. I think we, you know, we don't want to see anyone lose their life. I just think. I just don't think the system is set up good enough to deal with it if it all goes goes haywire. And that's probably what's going to happen. But I mean, the hospital system's been failing the public now for years in Western Australia and I'm just I'm just amazed that we can we can make five billion dollars surplus on the budget and we're one of the richest states in Australia and we, we haven't got any hospitals to even carry out the the health requirements of the of the people of Western Australia to sit. I'm just just shaking my head. Michael, if you were a premier <laughs> how would you do things? How would it be different? I just wonder why we haven't got the the people we put into Parliament should have run a business for 10 years in their lives and not gone broke. And then they will get it. You know, running a government is only like running a business. And if you're good at running a business, you'll be good at, good in government. I'd rather have half the politicians we've got and pay them more and get business people in there, ones that aren't corrupt anyway. Not saying that all politicians are corrupt either, or some of them probably are, but I think if it was run by a businessman that can control the health system and control the bureaucrats, let's face it, they're running the government most of the time and really that's what you put the government in there to run them. And here we have a health system that's been failing. I'm sick of reading about it. I reckon I've been reading about the health system for 10 years, how it's broken, and it's still broken, and now we're going into probably one of the worst things we've faced since the Second World War, and we're not even prepared for it. I just, and, and it's not like the state's bleeding. Like it was, it was three years ago, I think it was. We were going through a tough time and mining had a bit of a heart flutter, but now that's up and running and going hard again and we've, we've got a $5 billion um, surplus. Why wouldn't we be spending it on not necessarily building more hospitals at this stage, but setting ourselves up for what we're about to fight? Yeah. Michael, always good to get your thoughts. Thank you so much for being part of the show today.
No worries, Belinda. See you later. Michael Thompson, he's from Munda Station in the Pilbara, just talking about the state government's decision to keep that border up and uh, delaying that February 5 border opening. What does it mean to you? Send through a text. Be part of the conversation on 0448 922 604, 17 past 12. Concerns about the WA border staying up indefinitely at this stage. Also, has the agricultural sector worried about where it's going to find seasonal skilled workers? Trevor Whittington is the CEO of Lobby Group WA Farmers. Trevor, what is front and centre in your mind? following the Premier's announcement to maintain WA's border? Oh, well, look, we're, Belinda, we're facing an indefinite delay, Premier's own words, and um, well, this is on top of December the 13th when he came out and categorically said we're going to open up in early February, and that date was locked in, quote-unquote, uh, unless there was an unforeseen um, emergency. Having another variant come through the community is not an unforeseen emergency. And we've had uh, our farmers across the state struggling through the biggest harvest ever and now preparing for, you know, starting to think about seeding and and, uh, expecting to be able to bring in workers for the first time in two years, dial up those contacts uh, overseas. And so, yeah, we're good to go. And now we're back in in a world of uncertainty. Wouldn't there be some parts of the agricultural sector that would be quite happy, I guess, that the border remains in place? I mean, this week we've been talking about the meat processing sector and being very anxious about the border opening and the possibility of all these people coming in and a lot of their workers becoming sick and out of the system and not being able to operate due to so many people out of the system like we've seen in the eastern states, you know, in some places, 40% of the workforce out. So is there some kind of situation here where there are two columns of there's the negative side and the positive side to this? Well, the debit and the credit side exist, of course. The debit, yes, eventually all of us are going to have to deal with the fact that someone's going to get sick, our workers aren't going to be able to come come to work for a period of time as COVID moves through the community. So how long we want to kick that down the line, you know, three months, six months, 12 months, but eventually we're going to have to bite that bullet. The other side of the equation is um, while we have the borders closed, we can't bring in those skilled workers, which is the natural shock, uh, you know, uh, absorber that Western Australia has traditionally used to uh, address skill shortages, particularly when you've got a booming economy. We bring in people from the eastern states, New Zealand and overseas, and we haven't been able to do that. Are you concerned that the the workers at the agricultural sector will be looking for, say particularly heading into seeding and then harvesting later in the year, will be classified as essential and skilled workers? Now, we've really struggled to get clarity out of this government for the last two years of what's skilled and what's unskilled. In, in the bureaucrats' eyes, um, what's skilled is doctors and nurses, which is, you know, entirely understandable. But for farmers, someone who can drive an expensive piece of machinery for eight or ten weeks and not bend it is an incredibly skilled and valued worker. They're very hard to find and they're in demand right around Australia. So, you know, we've struggled to get our minister, the Minister of Agriculture and Regional Development, to come in behind us and back us in terms of you know, batting for exemptions. You know, we should have, when the Premier stood up yesterday, he should have been rolling out exemptions, and one of those exemptions should be for primary industries. And we're just not hearing that, and we certainly haven't heard that in the last two years from 
the minister is supposed to have our back. Are you concerned that come seeding, come harvest, this is going to be exactly the same situation that the well, the grain industry in that example has been dealing with for the last couple of years? Well, unless the Premier comes out in the next week or so and says, yes, we're going to dramatically extend the, uh, the level of exemptions, noting already he said that they'll have to be triple vaxxed and then uh, self-isolate for two weeks, so we'd have to you know, bring someone in from you know, the UK or wherever and then park them up in a house for two weeks. Uh, we've got to encourage them to come over. They've still got to be triple vaxxed. They haven't already been double vaxxed. So that's you know, it's getting harder and harder. Unless the Premier comes out in the next couple of weeks giving those exemptions and clarity, then people will just have to look around and you know, tap local resources, which is getting harder and harder to gear up for seating. Uh, at the same time, though, in the last couple of years, despite the calls for more workers to come into this state, the, the industry has really sort of struggled along, I guess, and got the job done and got to harvest under their belt. Look, it's an incredibly resilient industry, and that's exactly right. Farmers have been able to get through, but at what cost? What cost to themselves? What cost to their machinery? What cost to their program when they could have, you know, put more in or uh, done more and what costs to the long-term uh, future of the industry is people backing out of having sheep because it's just too hard to get workers. So there is always a cost. It's a hidden cost because farmers just grit their teeth and get on with it. But um, we're not seeing this Premier or the state government prepared to bear any cost or any burden, uh, which is incredibly disappointing. So at this point, clarity around those skilled workers is the number one priority for the ag sector. Is that how you see it? Yeah, we want a we want a, a, a an ag visa, uh, call it what you may, exemption put in place for Western Australian farm workers, and that you know, shouldn't have a skilled a title attached to it. Whether they're over here to pick you know watermelons or to drive a brand new you know John Deere tractor, if a farmer says they need people, then they should be able to bring them in, and we will need you know we want that clarity now. We'd like to see this. The Minister for Agriculture and Regional Development, front and centre, you know, pushing that debate on our behalf. Trevor, good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Trevor Whittington, he's the CEO of WA Farmers. I did request an interview with Agriculture Minister Alana McTiernan and she wasn't available to talk to you here on the Country Hour today. The state government says under the new hard border settings, approved travellers will be permitted to enter WA with testing and quarantine under the new expanded exemption criteria including specialist skills workers. Directions for the new border settings will be finalised in due course and the government says it will work closely with farmers and pastoralists over coming weeks to manage this issue as we have since the start of the pandemic. 24 past 12 on the text. Tracy says, brilliant news. So glad the border is staying shut. Sanity prevailed. This from James. People who have bitten off more than they can manage are the ones in disagreement with the border staying closed. And Peter at Warpole says, we have to keep going with the McGowan way because in the end, we'll have to assess which was the best, the East or the West. 0448922604 is the text to have your say. 24 past 12. Hi, I'm Gary Cosgrove. I like listening to the Country Hour, particularly when Belinda Baraschetti is doing it, and more so the four-day weather forecast. ABC Radio WA. Not far away from news headlines at half past 12, then checking weather conditions right around Western Australia.
First, though, off to the southwest of the state, where the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development says it received a complaint about conditions at the Boyanup sale yard on Wednesday when the mercury hit 38 degrees. The department says inspectors helped move cattle to avoid potential heat stress but reported no incidents. It says it will continue to monitor conditions at the sale yard throughout summer and the Shire of Capel says it has plans to install shade sails. Cattle veterinarian Don Finlay was at the sale yards this week and says the need for shade is urgent. Many of the cattle are uh, in good fit condition. Those cattle feel the heat worse, even wieners. The heavier sorts in the pens were packed in very, very tightly, 11 and 12 to the pen, and there was no animal movement that could be (laughs) done. Live export ships probably are legislated to have greater space than what board up sales yard sort was. So they couldn't physically maneuver to get to the drinker in the corner. That's when an inspector came and they started reducing pen crowding. So there was lots of animals uh, packed in in a small space and it was very hot. What impact does that have on the cattle? Well, their respiratory rates will increase to the maximum their body can respire at. That's the rate of breaths per minute. Once they've reached that, they are dehydrating. Probably before they reach that, they are dehydrating. So dehydration is a debilitating condition, and that is affecting those cattle's immune systems. My information from the industry is buoyed up. Sales yards cattle suffer a lot of respiratory disease compared to Mount Barker or Mushi, where there is shading. The people were suffering up on the walkways, the catwalks. That's stifling. And guess what? It's 10 degrees hotter in those pens down below. They're on black tiles. No, it's a bad, bad situation for the animals. What could be done to improve the situation? Oh, interim shading. That would improve it. Even that would keep their water cooler in the little drinkers in the corners. That would keep the water cooler. Anyone who's worked under shades can feel the difference. It, it it's a feels like 10 degrees cooler easily. So, yeah, you can still have it 41, but let me tell you, 41 standing on black tiles with your buddy up against you on both sides, nose to bum, is a lot different than the same thing under a shade. Did the cattle show any signs of that the heat was taking a toll on them when you were there? I could see some high respirations coming, and I didn't have the heart to stand around and see that at 1 and 2 in the afternoon. Is the ideal option for you for a new sow yard to be built altogether and what are the things that are going to improve animal welfare outcomes for these this cattle? For two and a half decades, that discussion has been in place and it's uh, like the 
beach ball with the dolphins in Kumana Bay. It gets bounced everywhere because everyone has a little interest, but no one has the independence to go ahead with it. That's a seven-year project to make new yards. Cattle have to be marketed. The producers depend on that buoying up sales yards. So interim, let's fix a welfare issue. Let's do that. It's good for your business. It is good business sense. Southwest based cattle veterinarian Don Finlay with Jackie Lynch. And as you heard Don just saying, the interim shading needs to be put in place ASAP, but he also wants to see a new facility built. And if you tuned into the Country Hour yesterday, you would have heard that the Capel Shire voted to extend the lease at the current Boyne Up Sale Yard site for at least 10 more years. The decision means the two operators at the site, Nutrien and Elders, will also have the option to extend the lease for a further 10 years beyond the initial decade-long extension. But if and when a new facility will be built remains unclear. This on the text from Steve. Why are the selling agents not being held responsible? What do you think after listening to the vet, Don Finlay? The text is zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. It is half past twelve here on the Country Hour, and with an update from the newsroom, here's Tony Khan. Good afternoon, Belinda. The WA government's decision to scrap the state's reopening on February the fifth has been met with anger from parts of the business community, but welcomed by many in the health sector. Key voices in the business community, like the WA Chamber of Commerce and Industry, aren't happy, saying it's back to square one. Many tourism businesses have also raised concerns, but the Australian Nursing Federation says its members have voiced their relief at the decision. The Chief Executive of Flight Centre says anyone who doesn't want to fly from WA on or after February the 5th can probably get a refund. Graham Turner says it's likely travel plans for many who are expecting February 5 to remain the opening date have been affected. And WA police have charged a 29-year-old man after an improvised explosive device was detonated in Leederville yesterday. Around half past one, the man detonated a device near two restaurants, sending shrapnel flying about 10 metres. No one was injured. The bomb squad was then called to the CBD after it was reported a person had a similar device. Belinda, more news at one o'clock. Thank you so much for that. It is 29 to 1. You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varaschetti on ABC Local Radio WA. Good afternoon. Great to have you along this afternoon. Just talking about the hot conditions at the Boyne Up Salyards in the southwest of the state a few moments ago. There is also this reminder that's come through from DPIRD, the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development, saying that livestock transporters, farmers, salyard and feedlot operators need to take action to ensure the welfare of animals being transported during the ongoing heatwave. Under the Animal Welfare Act, a person responsible for the transport of animals must take reasonable steps to minimise the impact of extreme weather conditions on the livestock. Failure to do so could result in a financial penalty. 28 to 1, between now and the news at 1. Off to the gas coin to look at those fires that have been burning. I think it's for a couple of weeks now. It is a huge area of land that's been burnt. An update for you on that situation. And then a couple of markets to get through today. A wrap of the Mount Barker cattle market. And then looking at this week's wool market with Danny Burkett just before the news at one. Right now, heading off to the Bureau of Meteorology, Joey Rawson. Let's start in the Southwest Land Division. How's it looking this afternoon?
Yeah, so hot, as you can imagine, Belinda. We've got this trough that's remaining offshore from the west coast that just keeps driving really hot temperatures, especially against uh, the west coast. So lots of places uh, right now are going over 40, and that is going to continue for tomorrow. And it's not until Sunday when that trough starts moving inland and we start getting the cooler air on the western side of that trough pushing over the southwest land division. Um, As far as rain... Rainfall goes, uh, not not expecting really anything um, for the next couple of days. However, there's a slight chance uh, that we might get a little thunderstorm pop up around that Bridgetown area this afternoon, um, you know, about a 10 to 20% chance. So that, that could occur. And then as we progress on to the weekend, m- might get some drizzle on the Euclid Coast uh, tomorrow and on uh, Sunday. And then as we get to Monday, uh, looking at some... Uh, showers along the south coast uh, but not expecting a lot of rainfall in those showers Um, you know maybe one or two millimeters at most and and that will be the same sort of story for Tuesday so yeah the hot conditions in the southwest land division are definitely the story. All right let's move into northern and eastern parts and yesterday you were talking about the possibility of that low pressure system maybe bringing some rain to some parts Uh, let's have a look at this afternoon and lead us into that Joey. Yeah, no worries. So um, we're starting to see some thunderstorms um, develop over the sort of the Pilbara parts and into the Kimberley and, and also uh, the eastern parts of the interior. So along uh, the coastal strip of the Pilbara, expect those thunderstorms to develop quite nicely this afternoon and into the Kimberley. And, you know, they could drop, you know, 10 or 20 mils um, if you're underneath one of those thunderstorms. And then that's going to be a similar story for the weekend. So showers and thunderstorms over the Kimberley. Kimberley, uh, Pilbara, as well as the uh, sort of eastern parts of the interior. And, and that's going to be the same theme for Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. However, we do have this tropical low that's forming. It, it's unlikely to develop into a tropical cyclone at this stage. However, it will uh, drift across the Kimberley and bring heavier rainfall. As far as flooding, not expecting riverine flooding with this system. However, there is a potential for some localised flooding if you're under quite a heavy thunderstorm. And warnings this afternoon? Yeah, so we've just got a uh, warning for the Shark Bay or the Gascoigne Coast uh, for a strong wind warning. And we've also got uh, fire danger warnings for a range of areas, which I'm just bringing up now, which uh, I didn't have up, which is not very good of me. Um, But it won't be long until it's right in front of me. Um, So we've got a fire... Uh, no, and we got and that's the wrong warning. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I'll have to get back to you on the fire. That's okay. I've got a yeah. I've got a total fire ban warning that's about to pop up, so that may cover you. I think, Joey. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it's certainly over a big area of the of the state, and especially over the Southwest Land Division. There's uh, certainly a lot of elevated fire dangers for sure, especially around the the um, Geograph Bay, Yarloop area for today. Um, it's certainly uh, bad, bad fire weather conditions. Yeah, all right. Look, thank you so much for the wrap. Appreciate that. No worries. Thank you. 24 to 1. Checking the rainfall now. The last 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning and starting in northern and eastern forecast districts, it's pretty much...
fallen in the Kimberley. So Camballan 11, Curtin Aero 5, Dampier Downs Airstrip 9, Doongan 26, Drysdale River Station 55, Flora Valley 13, Gibb River 9, Halls Creek Airport 5, Kachana 25, Columbaroo 9, Kununurra 7, Lake Argyle Resort 10, Lansdowne 6, Leopold Downs 13, Liveringa Station 26, Lombardina Aero 9, Marion Downs 10, Mullabulla Airstrip 11, Mount Barnett 11, Mount House Airstrip 8, Mount Krause 7, Mount Winifred 6, Napier Downs 14, Nicholson 18, Ruby Plains 8, Sophie Downs 25, Theatre 27, Troughton Island 23, Truscott 28, Udiella 17 and Yampi Sound 8. Nothing to report right across the Southwest Land Division. ABC Radio, fire ban information. There is a total fire ban for today, Friday the 21st of January, for areas including the Midwest Gascoin. The Perth surrounds and also in the southwest. The ban covers these local government areas, starting in the Midwest Gascoigne region Carnarvon, Chapman Valley, Greater Geraldton, Northampton, and Shark Bay. In the Perth Metro region, Armadale, Chittering, Gingin, Gosnells, Calamunda, Mundaring, Serpentine Jarradale, and Swan. In the southwest region, Murray, and Waruna. During a total fire ban, you must not light fires for cooking, camping or outdoor entertainment, including using solid fuel barbecues, fire pits and bonfires. Carry out any hot work like grinding, welding and gas cutting in an area that is not fully enclosed. Go off-road driving using a four-wheel drive, a quad bike, motorbike, bobcat or similar vehicles, except for agricultural purposes. And if there's a harvest and vehicle movement ban imposed by your local government, you can't use off-road vehicles or harvest, even for industry or agricultural reasons. Just repeating, there is a total fire ban for today, Friday the 21st of January, for areas including the Midwest Gascoigne, Perth metropolitan area and surrounds, and in the southwest. ABC Local Radio Harvest Ban Information. Due to the risk of fire, the following local authorities have imposed a ban on harvesting and the use of any equipment which could potentially cause a fire. They are the shires of Bridgetown, Boyart Brook, Bustleton, Capel, Murray, Nanup and the city of Rockingham. If you want more detailed information, including zones and any other restrictions and also the lifting of harvest bans, get in touch with your local government. The next harvest ban information will be broadcast at five past two this afternoon. 20 minutes to one. You are tuned to the Country Hour on the ABC right across Western Australia. You're off to the Gascoigne now where more than 340,000 hectares of land has been burnt in bushfires. As Michelle Stanley reports, it's feared hundreds of livestock have died. 
For more than two weeks, four fires have been burning across pastoral land in the Gascoigne. We've had fires previously, but nothing quite as ferocious as this one. Chris Hyam runs Meadow Station with her husband, Tim. They've got cattle, sheep and rangeland goats, and they've just come off a once-in-a-lifetime season. We've had such a phenomenal season. One in a hundred, probably. Wow. <laughs> was next. The fuel load was huge. That season's gone up in smoke. Lightning on the 6th of January and the days after have sparked the fires in the Gascoigne and flamed by hot weather and extreme winds. They've burnt through more than 340,000 hectares of mainly pastoral land. There's patches that look like a bit of a moonscape, really, where previously we could only see maybe, you know, 20 to 30 metres into that bush. You can now see, God, I don't know how far, a long way anyway. It's just been razored. It has increased grass and fuel loading uh, increase through the area, which then with the increased wind speeds and these high temperatures makes a fire run very quickly. Peter Norman is the DFAS incident controller for what's being called the Gascoigne Complex fires. They're moving at times 5, 6 to 10 kilometres an hour at their peak. How does that compare to other fires you've been fighting in recent years? Is that quite a fast-moving fire? Oh, very fast, but in this type of grassland and low heath, that is uh, understandable in these temperatures and obviously the wind conditions. A number of pastoral stations have been impacted. Warrimal, Windry, Woodley, Manbury and Meadow Station, just to name a few. In early estimates, Meadow's Chris Hyam expected they'd lost more than half their productive land, kilometres of fencing, which would take years to replace, and livestock. We've certainly had some losses with sheep and goats, but as to the final number, we don't know yet and won't know for a little while. Obviously, animals push through, particularly goats, through fences and move to other areas. So we don't actually have a handle on that at this stage. Would you expect it to be in the sort of hundreds or, or more like the thousands? Fingers crossed it's only hundreds. At this stage, it's looking, you know, what we've got back in, it probably looks like there might be about 300 sheep or something perished in that. Financially, that's going to be quite a blow. Uh, yes. <laughs> and the fires are still burning. Peter Norman says pastoralists in the region, DFIS, Parks and Wildlife Service, local government and bushfire volunteers from right across the state have been helping out and they'll continue to do so for the next week. With these weather conditions and lightning belts that are coming through later in the afternoon, more in the northern uh, Gascoigne area and into the Pilbara, you know, these have been ongoing, obviously, at the moment. New to the area is a Coulson 737 air tanker that's used in North America. That's sitting on the airstrip at Geraldton, ready to respond with a retardant capability. And they travel at 850 kilometres an hour with 15,000 litres of either water or retardant to quell any escalating incident. DFIS expected that by today they would have the blazers contained and controlled. But there is some more extreme weather on the way for the next few days. Temperatures are high, winds are strong, changing direction. We have a weather trough sitting over us at the moment and another one forecast on Monday, Tuesday. So it's not letting up. So it's just keeping aware and being on top of the conditions around us, knowing what the fire danger ratings are, what they mean, and keep checking emergency WA for any uh, 
advice of fire or escalating situation to a watch and act. It's been a rough start to the year for the Gascoigne community, but as ever, Chris Heim is trying to remain positive. Look, it's stock, it's dirt, it's significant, but it's not as significant as losing people. So at the end of the day, we've got to count our blessings. Chris Hyam from Mido Station ending Michelle Stanley's report. 16 to 1. Earlier in the hour, you heard how WA's agricultural and pastoral industries are calling on the state government to allow workers with specialist skills into the state to keep their businesses going and avoid any animal welfare issues now that the uh, border is staying in place at this stage anyway. Peter from Wellsaid says, Hi Belinda, very disappointed with the WA Farmers spokesperson wanting special exemption for farmers to employ staff for only 10 to 12 weeks. Why not stop buying the farm next door and manage what you have? Employ staff for the year and help your community. Stop the cynical political attacks on our great Minister of Agriculture who's doing a fine job trying to move agriculture forward. Thank you for that, Peter. Uh, This from Andrew in Broome Hill. Anyone who thinks open borders will solve labour shortages hasn't been paying attention to the situation in places that have open borders. And Steve from Harvey says, we here in the West will be the same as the East, only we'll have to cope with with Omicron in the middle of winter. He also says Labor is just hiding behind a messed up health system. The text is 0448 922604. 14 to 1 here on the Country Hour. We'll get to the markets shortly. A wrap of the Mount Barker cattle market and the wool market just before the news at one. Right now, off to the Pilbara to visit a cattle station that likes to use working dogs to muster cattle. Now, that's not really common today with most stations mustering cattle with horses, buggies or helicopters. But it is a different story at Glen Flory Station. Atisha Gray is the woman behind Pilbara Working Dogs and runs Glen Flory Station with her family. And she's recently taken part in an ABC TV series called Muster Dogs. Five Kelpie pups were sent to five pastoralists around Australia. And after just 12 months of training... They're put through their paces just to see who's crowned champion mustard dog. The first episode airs this Sunday and here's Tish to explain where it all started. I started in 2013. I went to a Neil McDonald livestock handling and working dog school and I just saw the difference there in, in how we could handle our stock and the influence that dogs could have on livestock and with the educating them and just how much easier life can be with dogs by your side to do it and it just went from there. I bought four going dogs and a pup and it's just kept going. Like now I've got, I've actually downsized my numbers to 10 Um, and yeah, I use them for everything. So they're always with me and the jobs that we can get done now where it would have required, you know, three or four people and I can go and do it with just my dogs is, that's probably the best bit. That's the bit I love the most. Are there many people in the Pilbara, Kimberley, Gascoigne that have working dogs on on cattle stations? So when I first started with my dogs, I knew of a handful of people who were running them in a similar way to how I do and working with a big team of dogs like I do. But I think now as uh, more people are moving across from over east and managing properties up this way, there's definitely some more dog people up in the area, which I think is fantastic. The more the merrier. Like I, I'm loving that they're starting to get a bit of a foothold and what these dogs are able to do, even out on properties like this, 
is starting to be recognised. Are there some challenges, though, having cattle dogs or stock dogs, muster dogs in the Pilbara? I mean, the heat is one thing that, that pops into my mind. Um, and, and wild dogs, are there any other major challenges you have to overcome? The heat's definitely one of the major ones. I haven't had any issues with wild dogs so far as far as directly interacting with my dogs. And a big part of of handling our stock the way we do is so that we can teach the cattle not to panic when they are under threat from you know wild dogs and dingoes and predation. So I think we can have a positive influence on the stock in that way. And then obviously baits are an issue though we don't we don't bait on areas on our station where I will use my dogs a lot of the time. So I try and protect them in that way. So it, from there, it's really just all the same issues that you've got anywhere else. But the main one for us is just not letting them work too hard when we're covering such big distances. So having plenty of water and, and a chance for them to rest and recoup. You mentioned learning and, and how much you still think you might have to learn in terms of working the dogs and working cattle. What about in the TV show? As part of the show, you had to have a dog and, and um, put it through its paces, I suppose. But did you learn anything about the dogs, about yourself, about, uh, you know, the process during the TV filming? Yeah, it was really interesting because Gossip Girl is a different style of dog to what I'm used to. So her work style is different. Uh, even her attitude is, is different. And she's, she's a lovely part, but it took me a little while to win her over. But now she's almost human. And like, I adore her character, even though her work style is not what I would normally have in my team. I think it's really interesting then to have that different dynamic. And so I'm learning a lot from her in how to work with her with our stock and what situations to be able to use her in. And I think it is also different when you have the pressure of, you know, obviously being a TV show. So there were milestones that we had to try and reach, which weren't when I would normally be aiming for them. And so it put on that little bit of extra pressure to try and get there earlier than I would normally and things like that. So that was, it was interesting. It was, it was definitely a, a good learning curve <laughs> for both of us. Now, we are obviously in WA. This is the Northern WA Rural Report. We need to know, uh, can you give us any hints? Did you win? We're, we're really competitive. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, I can't let the cat out of the bag on uh, that one. Oh, the dog, the dog out of the kennel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, that's fair enough. Um, you've had a, a heck of a last couple of years in terms of um, the, the filming, the TV show, the book, um, the weather conditions as well on the station, destocking. It's been a wild ride and it in some ways partly culminates this Sunday night. How do you feel? Nervous. But excited too. Like, it, it will be really good to set. And I think, like, uh, the reason I was interested in doing the show was because it gives us a chance to really showcase what these dogs are capable of. And if it can get them the respect and, and recognition that they deserve, then I'm all for it. Atisha Gray from Glen Flory Station with Michelle Stanley. And you can see Tish and her dogs in action this Sunday on ABC TV's series Champion Muster Dog. Nine to one. You remember early in the week you heard that story, incredible story of the working dog which survived a three-hour, 250-kilometre trip in the cramped and incredibly hot engine bay of a truck. And the story goes the dog crawled into the vehicle just to shelter from a storm and appeared to be happy and healthy after going through that ordeal. But in some sad news, Cassie the Kelpie died 
just a couple of days after her trip. And owners Sally and Alastair Wills from southwest Victoria are obviously devastated. So sad to bring that news after going through all of that and appearing happy and healthy after it. So I'm sorry to bring you that news today. Rest in peace, Cassie the Kelpie. Eight to one. To Mount Barker now for a wrap of the two-day cattle sale. Yesterday it was the Wieners with 2,242 yarded. And today's trade sale, there was 504 cattle penned for sale. Tracy Kilner, can you kick things off with yesterday's sale? Heavyweight steers again dominated the yarding with prices up on demand. All categories of heifers followed this trend with only lightweight steers easing with demand. Restockers paid a top of 716 cents for lightweight steers and 620 cents for heifers. Export buyers were extremely competitive on certain weights. Wiener steers weighing over 380 kilos gained returning 472 to 588 cents. Steers weighing between 330 and 380 kilos were up 22 cents, making 560 to 652 cents. The lighter steers weighing 280 to 330 kilos gained, selling from 570 to 650 cents, and weights under 280 kilos eased, returning 610 to 716 cents, depending on quality. Wiener heifers weighing over 380 kilos made from 470 to 534 cents. And weights from 330 to 380 kilos sold for 458 to 584 cents a kilo. Lighter weights between 280 and 330 kilos made from 458 to 594 cents. And the light weights under 280 kilos returned 408 to 670 cents, averaging 580 cents a kilo. Wiener bulls sold to export and restockers from 350 to 490 cents, averaging 419 cents a kilo. Today's trade sale. The outing was dominated by yearling heifers, which were in high demand, reaching a top of 538 cents for store lightweights to feeder buyers. Prime cows remained firm while heavy bulls eased. Yearling steers gained 20 cents, selling from 412 to 550 cents for lightweights. Yearling heifers gained with demand, making from 332 to 538 cents, depending on quality. Bullocks weighing between 500 and 600 kilos sold for 390 to 468 cents. Under 500 kilo weights made 380 to 510 cents, quality dependent. Grown heifers gained with weights over 540 kilos selling for 348 to 396 cents. And lighter weights sold for 375 to 472 cents a kilo. The cow yarding fluctuated with heavy prime cows selling for 300 to 358 cents. Medium weight cows were up, returning 300 to 332 cents. Boner cows returned 220 to 304 cents, and feeder buyers paid from 328 to 378 cents, depending on age and quality. Heavy bulls eased, selling for 230 to 356 cents. Medium weights made 230 to 342 cents, and the lightweight bullies sold for 352 to 368 cents a kilo. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Thank you for that, Tracy. A couple of texts to squeeze in in response to the animal welfare concerns at the buoyant up sale yards. The hot conditions, obviously, this week and the lack of shade at those sale yards. All sales should be cancelled when the temperature reaches a certain heat, says Liz in the Great Southern. Terry says, I was a member of the community that rang and complained about the welfare issue at the Boyne Up Yards. I was there and followed the Capel Shire and the outcome put forward at the Shire meeting. I truly believe a time frame needs to be issued to the agents that are in charge of the sale yards so we can be assured that the sale shades are erected in a timely manner. I didn't see a couple of dozen stock agents 
Ones eager to be penned in the sunny yards for six hours, waiting to be sold in temperatures that would have been over 40 degrees. Thanks for that, Terry. This from the buying fraternity. Capel Shire had 11 to 12 letters against a long-term lease and no letters in favour, yet took no notice. There were major buyers among those letters. Without buyers, you have no sale. WA State Government scrutinises the live trade. They should have a look in their own backyard. Does the Ag Minister know where these yards are? Maybe she should go today with another scorcher forecast. Let's get a wrap of the wool market now and the eastern market indicator was up three cents to close at 1,392 cents a kilo clean and the western market indicator up three cents too to close at 1,436 cents a kilo clean. Danny Burkett, can you go through the details? Yeah, we have market up one day back to next um, but we've basically settled fairly close to the last 12 months high so we've kept the roughly the 50 cents we gained last week. In Fremantle, 18 microns were 15 dearer, closing at 2055. 19s off 15 at 1660. 20 microns off 5, 1380. 21s, 13.20 on the close, that was off 10. 22s off 5, that's 1300 on the close. So again, after last week's 50, 50 odd cent rise, we kept most of that. Um, so, and as I said, we have settled on prices very close to the last 12 months highs. If we look at Pieces and bellies are virtually par for the week, up one day, back the next. That did not mind what Micron, what VM, it was pretty much across the board. Lambs are holding their ground on a very good level, uh, as they've been trading for three to four months at that level. Locks gained 10 cents for the week, crutchings off 20, stains off 20. Again, just walking you through the other centres, I think it's worthwhile noting that uh, Sydney has an average of 2.6 VM across the board, Melbourne 2.1 and WA where, where we have been very free. As I said a couple of weeks ago, that will start to lift. That's now sitting at 1.5%. So the freer you can keep your pieces, the freer you can keep your fleece wools will stand you in very good stead if you're looking to clear that wool in the market shortly. And if you look at WA, $9.94 greasy a kilo was the average across all wool sold over the floor, $1,840 a bale at $185 kilo. So a great result for Fremantle when you look at the three centres trading for the week. Who was in there buying this week? Well, there'll be no guesses. Um, I sound like a bit like a broken record, but uh, if we look at the fleece wool, again, this is across the three centres. Tech wool trading took 26% of that market. The next closest trader was PJ Morris at 10%. TNU, 8.5, and Devil Wool Exports at 8. But um, when you're looking at buyers lists like that with tech wool trading, 26%, that is a fair chunk of the fleece wool. Uh, if we look at the skirtings, again, the combing market, tech wool trading 25.5%. The next exporter closer, that was at 14.5%. So um, it was great to have tech wool in the market, um, extremely strong. But uh, it's always a little worrying when you start seeing one exporter take that volume when you're looking down the barrel the next couple of weeks. All right, so what's in store for next week, Danny? Sydney, Melbourne, Fremantle, 46,500 bales on the market. The quantity, I don't think, will be an issue. But shipping space uh, is starting to come back into play. Uh, cash flow for these exporters or money to trade um, will certainly start to pinch in the next week or two if the last six months is anything to glean that information from. But our three centres, Fremantle has 13,500 bales on the market. That's a fair lick of wool for Fremantle. But hopefully that gives the exporters plenty of choice to fill those containers. So let's just hope their cash flow is right and they can find some shipping space and we'll, we should have a reasonable market. One o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. 
Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.